<clears throat> I just saw someone's Twitter feed, Twitter update that said, the greatest sin of the church may be to ignore the pain of all the people smiling in the pews. Hypocrisy. The false facade, the view that everything is just fine, when inside it's a bubbling cauldron of issues and concerns and dilemmas, when the outside doesn't fit the in, and somehow we feel like we have to fake it. A friend of mine was telling me a story of going to a church, and it's a fine church. <clears throat> One of the things they said is that, you know, if, if you've been at Warehouse anytime you realize we do things slightly differently, like all of our worship's at, what's at the end of our service, and most churches uh, do it at the beginning. And nothing wrong or right, it's our philosophy of how we do, how we do it. But anyway, th- they started off, and the, the worship leader stood up, and, and they, she said, now this is what I want you to do. I want everybody to, to take your problems and concerns and put them under the chair, and let's just worship the Lord. And I would think, do you maybe have a U-Haul? or I, I don't... <laughs> they're not going to get under the chair. But, but more importantly, the idea is, that, is that really it? So what I need to do, so this is, let me get this straight. So the Christian life is, I take all my problems and I push them away and smile. No, I, see, I want, a, I want a faith, I want a relationship with God where I can actually take my problems out from under the chair and live in a relationship with God with that and, and not have to fake it and not, not have to hide it and not have to pretend like everything's okay when it's not because, you see, it's deadly. Why is that objection so powerful? All Christians are hypocrites. Why is that objection so powerful? Because... Someone looks around at those who are Christian and they're smiling. And they're saying everything's just fine and thinking, well, that's not who I am. I could never live like that. Their lives seem so perfect. As the song by Pedro the Lion says, their perfect fire annoyed me. But then, then there's the real insidious thing when that perfect fire is not so perfect, is it? When that facade of, I've got it all together, and you should too, it turns out, wait, you didn't have it all together at all. It was just a show. It was just a game. In every generation, it seems, there is a poster child for hypocrisy within the church. The current poster child is a guy named Ted Haggard. And since the story I'm about to tell you, he has apparently moved on, and I hope, I hope he's doing well. Because the place he's at now may be the place where he always ought to have been. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know. But I do know what fuel was lit by uh, his story a few years ago. He was a pastor of a megachurch in Colorado Springs who was known as a, a, a staunch uh, opponent to uh, homosexuality and really pushed politically even against any, any you know, a, a same-sex marriage, or he, and he was seen as really speaking strongly out against homosexuality. And then it was discovered that he had a three-year relationship with a male prostitute who he bought crystal meth from. And you're like, <laughs> there's a problem here. And then people went, see, just what I told you, that perfect image, just what I thought. It's a facade, and when you get underneath it, it's ugly. Then why is this so dangerous? Because underneath that, what does it say? Well, there's nothing there. Why in the world would I want to be a part of a movement of these religious people 
who pretend they have their life all together and look at the change that's happened, but there's nothing going on and all they're doing is they're telling me to be better when they're not even doing it. There's really nothing there. All Christians are hypocrites. I've got no time for this. No patience. That's a relatively strong, relatively strong objection, in my opinion. Now, I could do lots of things with that today, really. You know, all Christians are hypocrites. Well, could it really be all? Of course not. You know, what do you mean by hip- you know, hypocrisy? You're a hypocrite too. You know, anyway, what I want to do is I want to explore the whole concept of hypocrisy because hypocrisy is part and parcel to all of us at one level. It's when it moves to the second level that it becomes very dangerous, both to us and to those around us. See, hypocrisy is simply when the inside doesn't meet the out. You know, in what we say we believe, what we pronounce, what, and and even we might actually really believe. Our interior life is not fitting with that. You know, for example, if we were to say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for marital fidelity, and then inside my heart is being unfaithful. You know, there's, there's times in each of our lives where something, the inside, is not fitting the out, and what do you, what do, you do with that? Or, you know, you, you're Ted Haggard, and you say homosexuality is wrong, and then, but you're having a desire to have a homosexual affair, and, you know, drugs are bad. They don't, you, you lose control of your life, and yet you're wanting to do drugs. And, you know, you can go on and on with different things, and hypocrisy is simply the inside doesn't meet the out. And at some level, on one issue or another, all of us will, will struggle with some level of the inside not meeting the out. We discover that who we are is not who we want to be. The question is, what do we do with that? And the hypocrisy that's deadly is when we see the inside and the out don't meet. And so I pretend. Now I just put on the facade. No, I don't struggle with that at all. I don't have any problem with that. Hypocrisy that's deadly is the false appearance of virtue or religion. We pretend things are something they are quite honestly not. What I really want to get to today in the midst of this objection is how, as people who at times our interior doesn't meet the out, how do we not go to faking it? How do we not go to facade? Because I will tell you, for every one of us, there is going to be a temptation at times to just play the game. You will have pressure on your life to just put up the facade. You don't want people to see what's really going on inside. And at some level, you're concerned that it's actually going on inside. And so you bury it. What can keep you from that? Quite honestly, the question I want to get to today is what can keep us from a deadly hypocrisy that's deadly for us and for those who might be watching? To get at that, I want to walk through a passage that Jesus, where Jesus is um, talking with some people. And Jesus doesn't like hypocrisy. You know, if you think, if you don't like hypocrisy, then you're on the same page with Jesus. Jesus finds himself quite irritated at hypocrisy. He's so strong, in fact, in this passage with some Pharisees. I won't read the passage to you, but at the end of it, after Jesus sort of rips into them, his disciples look at him and say, you realize you offended them, don't you? <laughs> yes, I realize I offended them. Because he's so incredibly direct with them about their hypocrisy. And here's the passage. And this is in the, the Gospel of Matthew, in the 15th chapter, and the Gospel of Matthew is one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus that are in the Bible. And this is what it says. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. 
I don't know. I feel like if I had some questions I needed to ask Jesus and I really wanted to understand, I'm not sure I'd start with, how come your disciples don't wash your hands? However, that's where they went. Why? In that culture, it wasn't, it's not really like you're with your five-year-old, if you have a five-year-old, and you're telling, you know, they just played in the dirt, and you're saying, oh, wash your hands before you eat. It's not really like that. What it more was, it was a ceremonial thing, a tradition that was created. And the idea was that they were saying, we want to have a pure and holy and a clean life. And so we, we have external rituals that show our desire for cleanliness in our, in our heart. And so, you know, we, it's a tradition. We wash our hands before we eat, and it shows us that we are clean and holy people. And Jesus' disciples apparently didn't do this. Apparently, when there was food, they just ate. And so the Pharisees came to him and says, what is wrong with your disciples? Do they not care about holiness? Do they not care about having a clean life? They're not following the traditions of the elders. And, and Jesus, as he often does, asks them another question. He takes it in a different direction in order to expose something that's flawed about what they're thinking. And this is what he says. So Jesus replied, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You see, they were espousing traditions. Jesus is flipping it and saying, there's something more important than tradition. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, honor your father and mother was considered among the most important of the teachings of, of that time. Is that, you know, some, some writers would have said it's really the heart of what it looks like after you love God to love other people. You have to honor your father and your mother. And what a tradition had developed which said, yeah, yeah, that's all true. However, there's times when your money should be just devoted to God. As if, understand this, as if money for God and caring for people were in two different buckets. And so they said, well, if it's going to be devoted for that, I'm sorry, it, I can't help you, Dad. You know, your, your parents have an actual need. And you would be able to say, well, because I want to honor God with my life, I can't help you because I gave the money over there to, to God. And it seems a little bit crazy, but essentially what you're saying, look, you've, you've created this, why would you do that? How, why did you raise some tradition above what I already told you was true about caring for people? Why are you trying to be more spiritual than God? And what he's trying to flip there and flip hard is, you know, there's something wrong in the heart here. You're a little too concerned about externals. You're a little too concerned about what appears spiritual and what doesn't. You're a little too concerned with washing your hands. You're a little too concerned with the religious traditions that other people see, and so they believe that you're a good and holy and, and God-centered person. You're a little bit too concerned about that, and you're not as concerned enough about why in your heart don't you love your mom and dad. The externals have trumped the interior of your life. And so he follows that up by saying this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, to no purpose. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. 
And so Jesus uses their little question about washing hands to say, you've got it all wrong. You think that caring about the facade is what the life and relationship with me is about? No, no. It's about the heart. Christianity is not putting on the proper pretense before others, and so they might think you're spiritual. Christianity is something that changes deep within the heart and then influences how you live your life. See, why do we go to hypocrisy? What is it that makes us want to pretend? To put on a a false front? Why would we ever want somebody to believe we're different than we actually are? Don't we know if they believe that that doesn't actually have any bearing on us? If they believe something about us that isn't true and so that affects their view of us, well, so what? That's not about me. It's about this facade that I've created. What would make us want to do that? Why would we want to live as a hypocrite? Why would we want to promote an exterior that we actually don't feel and believe and own within? That's probably a whole other series, quite honestly. Why? Lots of reasons. Sometimes we've disappointed ourselves. We, we only can't believe where our heart is. And we want to believe it's this exterior. We put that forward almost to convince ourselves we're better than we are. Sometimes it's because we've invested way too much in how other people view us. It's more important for us, for other people, to believe we're spiritual, to believe we're moral, to believe we're deeply connected with God than to actually be so. And so we put a lot more energy into it. And sometimes, quite honestly, it's just easier. In this passage, what Jesus is saying is, I want your heart to be broken to love other people. Let's start with your mom and dad. It's a lot easier to follow a rule than it is to have your heart deeply broken to care for the lives of others. So for lots of reasons, we choose a facade over actual change. Hypocrisy. When the outside doesn't match up with the inside. The real question is, what are you and I supposed to do about that? What do we, nobody really likes hypocrisy in other people. What are we supposed to do? What, what are you going to do when your inside doesn't match your out? What are you going to do with your deeply held values? Somehow they're getting torn up in your heart and you're not able to live them out or you don't want to live them out. What are you going to do when that happens? For many, the choice has been, I'll just pretend. Part of that is driven by a view of Christianity that is this, and this may be, if you're rel- whether you're relatively new at the church, quite honestly, or whether you've been in a church for years, this may be your view, really, deep down. Deep down, your view of Christianity may be this, I, I have to appear a certain way on the outside, because isn't that what Christianity is anyway? You know, you become a Christian and then secretly somebody hands you the list. Chris, 12 rules. That's too many. By tomorrow. <laughs> you know, here's, here's the things you're supposed to do. Christians, good Christians, 
You don't want to be a bad Christian. Good Christians, they don't do that. They don't do that. They don't do that. There's a lot of they don'ts on the list, by the way, like nine out of 12. And they do do this. And so we feel this pressure, like the pressure to perform, right? Because that's what a good Christian is. A good Christian is somebody who does all the right things. We're morally superior. You become a Christian and you, boom, become morally superior to other people. And then, obviously, you have to tell them that they also need to become morally superior. And so they become a Christian. Yeah, 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 you get forgiven. But then you become morally superior. See, I think in American Christianity, somewhere deep, deep down, most of us have that view in there that we're just supposed to be better. Now, preferably. And so there's this real push, this real pressure to just push down the sense where, well, I'm not. What do I do when I'm not? What do I do when I feel morally bankrupt? What do I do with that? Well, I hide it. Because Christians are in a position of strength morally in relation to the rest of the world, and so I can't show it. I'm doing great. I got my troubles underneath my chair. I'm doing just fine. I believe absolutely that what Jesus is trying to say here is, look, I'm not trying to get you to tag some externals onto your life. Christianity is not being morally superior. It's being in a relationship with me where over time, as you and I walk through life, I change your heart. So the inside begins to match the out. For what you long to be starts to become more and more true. The path that, listen to me carefully, I'll qualify it as soon as I say it, listen to me carefully, the path to real transformation is the path to recognizing there is a good hypocrisy. There's the moment when I realize it doesn't match. See, that's the space of transformation. When I look at my life and I wonder, okay, Christian, what are you supposed to do? Love God, love others. Boom. Well, I don't. That place, the distance between those two, that's the place of transformation. That's that's natural. That's supposed to be there. You you don't become a Christian and it's like, you know, you're super dosed and now you love everybody. (laughs) You become a follower of Jesus you realize that he loves you. And he loves you deeply. You realize that he brings forgiveness to you. And you realize that he, in that way that he has that's quite pointed, is looking into your soul and saying, see, right there, that's that's the piece that isn't who you want to be. There's the gap between who I call you to be and who you are. That's the place where we work. You see, in the place when you discover, you got an option. You do. You have an option. At the place when you discover the inside doesn't meet the out, you got two choices. Let's be simplistic. You got two choices. Fake it or face it. <laughs> that was kind of like alliteration. I never do that. That was bad. Fake it or face it. I was, fake it or you can face it. You can look at it. And what happens in that space when you look at it, well, then you go, okay, God, here is the place, here is the place where I'm not who I want to be. And that becomes the focus of how I engage with God. 
of how I pray, of how I read the Bible. That becomes the place where the select give of community, of people I can trust in my, in my small group or in my ministry team or a couple of friends, where I bring that forward and say, here, here's who I am, here's who I long to be. Do you see the gap? Can you help me to look at this and, and where, the gap, where, where, the, where the breakdown is and how God can transform my life? See, that's the place where growth happens. And because somewhere, some, somehow we've come to believe that Christianity is being perfect, we actually miss the transformation because we can't afford to be flawed. We have to look good. And the desire to look good, we miss out on the life that he actually has for us of being changed from the inside out. So, this morning, here's my challenge to you. If you are somebody who say you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a good Christian. You're somebody who believes Jesus has forgiven you and you long to walk in relationship with him now and forever. That's you. I challenge you to explore the place of hypocrisy. To ask God, show me the place where the insight doesn't, ma- insight doesn't match the out. Instead of bearing it, show it to me, God. I challenge you to walk into that space, to make that the focus when you sit down in the morning, the evening, and you read your Bible, to ask God to speak to you about that thing. When you're praying, bring it before him and reflect upon what it is that brought you there and ask God to change you there. When you're gathered with that close group of friends who you can actually be real with, when if you don't have them, please get some, really. Somebody that you can be real with, that you bring that to them and you say, look, this is what I've discovered about myself. I'm supposed to love my parents and I don't. I don't want to hide it anymore. I want to be changed inside out. I challenge you to take the place of hypocrisy and don't go to facade. Work in that place and see if God won't change you there. I challenge you also to no longer present a view to people who are not followers of Jesus that you're perfect and in six short lessons they can be too. Present a picture that's real because here's the thing. Nobody believes it. There was an architect named, there is an architect, I'm acting as if he's passed beyond. There's an architect named Charles Alexander who's at Berkeley and he writes theories about architecture and beauty. Truly fascinating stuff. One of the things he says is that we've missed it in architecture. We often think that beauty is perfection, but it's not. And buildings that look too perfect are ugly because they don't appear, they're just facades, they don't appear to be reality. There's, there's nothing true about them because we don't see perfection in our world. And so the truth is, when we present a picture of perfection, nobody's buying it. Least of all you. Because it's not real. What is real? A heart that's seeking to know who they really are. A heart that's seeking to have God transform. That is real and that is powerful and that is compelling. If you are somebody who's exploring Christianity, and inwardly, outwardly you're probably not, but inwardly you're going, it's all hypocrisy, it's all a sham. This is my challenge to you. Don't let Ted Haggard determine your course of your life. Yes, there has been, probably always going to be, some hypocrisy in the church. Sometimes a lot. Don't let that influence 
the relationship you can have with the God who loves you. Don't let that determine who you can become. And look at what Jesus actually said. He's not calling you to plaster on a veneer in your life. He's calling to your heart. And he's saying, if you come in relationship with me, I will walk with you. And we'll begin the process of you becoming the person you've always longed to be from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord, would you banish from us the creating of the facade like the ancient writer, let us say, away with this false self, with the desire to have the real. I pray, Spirit, as you are here, that you would move in our hearts in the remainder of our time, that we could hear you speak to us about the change that you can bring with us. Let us hear the grace that we need to know that allows us to be free and to come forward. Let us hear that. And let also let us hear the, 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 the wooing call of your voice saying that we can be more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we move into our time of worship, which as I said, we always put at the back end as a way for us to respond. We start it with our... Uh, wow, lost my balance. That was weird. We start it with our...